This is Wonder, the travel podcast, where you can listen to conversations about experiences, adventures, and all things travel. My name is Christine Mitchie, and welcome to Wonder. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Wonder. I hope that you all are having a great day. And thanks for joining me on today's podcast, talking about a really great location local to Sydney, Bronte Beach. Bronte is a remarkable beach in Sydney, and I'm really excited to dive into it with you guys today. But before we get into it, just going to give you a high-level overview of what we're going to cover today. I'm going to be starting by talking a little bit about Bronte, how to get here, and a couple of notes on some historical parts of Bronte that are interesting. Then we'll talk a little bit about my experiences in Bronte, some recommendations on what to do and where to eat in Bronte. And then last but not least, we'll end the podcast talking about what the perfect day in Bronte looks like. How should you spend your day when you're visiting? What should you bring? What there is to do in Bronte and the best ways to experience all that Bronte has to offer. Bronte Beach is a great place, very close to home for me, quite literally, and really excited to take you guys through all the wonderful things about Bronte Beach today. But before we get into that, just wanted to share a bit of an update with you all and a little bit about the last podcast. And one, thank you to those of you who listened to our first podcast. And if you're just joining us, thank you for joining us. It's been really exciting launching our first full episode last week and even more exciting that we're going to be doing our second episode this week. It's been really fun getting in the hang of you know, getting some of the structure down, getting the plan for the episodes and getting familiar with all the different technologies and software is using to to actually put the podcast together. And so we're really excited that we have some great locations lined up and Bronte is just one of them. We will do a number of locations. Of course, we're going to be really location-based, especially as we get started, but we are going to have three locations episode. And then the fourth episode, I actually thought at least for this month will be kind of fun to incorporate some different travel topic into the conversation. So it might also just be with me. It might be with a guest, uh, just kind of depending on how it works out, but really excited for that. So we'll have Bronte. We'll have another location next week that you'll have to stay tuned to find out what location that is. And then the week after that, we will have a fun uh, wildcard episode. So stay tuned for that. And that'll be a little bit different, which should be really exciting. But today we're going to be talking about Bronte. And I thought about doing Bronte for the second episode, because of course, for the first episode, I started with Missoula, which is my home in terms of where I'm from. Uh, but second to that, Bronte is my home in terms of where I currently live. And so we're going to be talking about all the wonderful things about Bronte Beach here soon. But before we get into that, I wanted to share just a bit of a funny story from the last podcast that we did on Missoula, Montana. And it was actually really funny. I was talking to my sister about the podcast and about going through the recommendations and things I enjoyed and whatnot. And I had completely missed this very funny joke and story that I wanted to share with you all. And so I'm going to tell it now. If you haven't listened to that podcast, definitely have a listen. But this is a funny anecdote that I thought that you all would enjoy. So when I was 
looking up things about Missoula that were the top 10 things to do in Missoula before I left with my boyfriend, actually, because he was asking me about uh, what there is to do in Missoula, what the fun things, top things to see are and whatnot. And so we looked up on TripAdvisor and on TripAdvisor came the top 10 things to do. And the first couple, and I think it came up three times in the top 10 things to do, was to visit the carousel of Missoula, which it's actually almost ironic that I went through a whole episode talking about how amazing Missoula is and the great things to do there. And I, of course, did not mention the carousel for Missoula because if you're visiting Missoula, unless you have kids, it's not a highlight. It's not something that you should stop and see. (laughs) So it was just really funny when I was talking to my sister because she hadn't listened to the episode yet. She's like, oh, but I hope that you told everyone and you started off the podcast by telling them, do not miss the carousel of Missoula. Do not miss it in Dragon's Hollow, which is this park, uh, this child's park next to the carousel for Missoula. Don't miss it if you're visiting. And I, we just had such a laugh. It's like, I absolutely not only blacked that out of my memory to even say that because I would never recommend that to anybody unless they had kids, but it was quite funny. So if you haven't listened to the episode, have listened. You won't find me recommending the carousel for Missoula as a stop. You would see it if you were walking along the river trail. It is great if you have kids. So if you have a family, definitely stop there. Dragon's Hollow is a very very well done park for kids. I will say I had a lot of fun there when I was growing up. It's the best playground for for kids in my opinion. I had so much fun there. However, for the the those of you who do not have children and or have grown children, don't need to prioritize the carousel for Missoula when you're visiting. So I wanted to share that with everyone before we move past the Missoula topic because it was quite funny. So I think even noting on that, one of the reasons why I also wanted to start this podcast is because if you were looking up things to do in Missoula and you went to TripAdvisor, you wouldn't find as quality and as local of content as we talked about last week. And so that's not a knock to TripAdvisor as much as it is why I think that this is this podcast is going to be a really great resource if people are wanting to visit or they're thinking about visiting or you know they're wanting to travel one day, that there's just, just a different take on re- recommendations and a different perspective. With that being said, we are going to transition into talking about Bronte Beach. So today, Bronte is one of the best beaches in Sydney. And as I mentioned earlier, it is where I currently live. So I live in the north part of Bronte. So I live between Bronte and Tamarama, which is another beach. And I've lived here for about two and a half years. And I live very close to to Bronte Beach. And it has been one of the most phenomenal living locations, if not the best living location in terms of proximity to the beach, access to to parks. And it is situated in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, which is a really great place to live, lovely area. The beaches are majestic and Bronte truly has so much to offer. I have spent countless days at Bronte. I walk down there almost every day and I'm really excited to tell you all about the great things about Bronte because I learned some different pieces of information when I was researching for this podcast and 
I want to make sure, you know, anyone who's visiting or, or wanting to know a little bit about, you know, Sydney and whatnot, Bondi gets a lot of the attention. Bondi is the world renowned beach. It's, it's famous and it's glorious. It's absolutely majestic as well. But Bronte has a lot to offer and is a lot of times is really behind the shadows of Bondi Beach when it comes to people visiting. To get started, I wanted to go over where Bronte Beach is. And today we'll also just be talking about Bronte Beach. Bronte as a suburb is also has just a bit of a small kind of town area. There's some shops, there's some cafes. But when I was putting this together, there was actually a lot coming I was putting a lot into my notes and I was realizing that in order to do it justice, I didn't want to overcomplicate, you know, um, talking about Bronte and Bronte Beach. And even when I was reflecting with my sister about my Missoula podcast, I realized that there was quite a bit that I had left out as well. And I think all the the top great things are in there, but I want to make sure to not, uh, you know, if I'm going to do one area, I'd rather focus on a small area that really does hold its own and then could do a separate part for Bronte as well, not connected to the beach. So we're going to be just talking about Bronte Beach today. And as I mentioned, it's situated in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. It's just two kilometers south of Bondi Beach. So if you are going to Bondi, you can easily get to Bronte via walking, or you can get here via public transport, which we'll go into here in just a moment. So Bronte is really quite easy to get to. And if you're Coming from the city, it's about 35, 40 minutes, depending on how busy traffic is. If you're coming from Bondi, you can jump on the coastal walk and walk about 30-ish minutes down to Bronte. Sometimes I've done it in 25 and sometimes I've done it in 40. So it just kind of depends on what what type of day it is for you. You can easily get here and you don't have to walk through traffic or anything. I will do a whole nother episode on the coastal walk. It is a complete experience in its own and really excited to do that. Fun fact, I actually found out when I was researching this information about Bronte is that according to this website called Oz Beaches, there used to be a tram that went down to Bronte Beach back in 1911 to 1960. So the tram closed in 1960 and that's when they built up the bus system, I believe. But there used to be a tram all the way down here from the city, which is quite cool to think about. When you look at the structure of the roads and how everything's made up today, it me it seems difficult to imagine that there was a tram. And Bronte is also mostly downhill. It's situated between two pretty big cliff edges. And so it definitely would have been a pretty interesting experience on a tram. However, now we are lucky enough to have a couple of bus routes here to Bronte. So if you are coming here from the city, you can easily take the 360 or the 379. And those are the the main buses. The 379 comes down uh, straight to the beach edge and it runs pretty frequently. So you can easily get to and from Bondi Junction and then either 379, I actually do believe goes past Bondi Junction into parts of the city, but I'm not quite sure 100% where it goes. So it's easy to get here for the most part. Um, I will say though, when I had first moved here, I was staying in Pyramont, which is across the bridge from the CBD. And I was trying to get down here to Bronte. And that section, if you are past the CBD, it actually probably would take quite a while to to get to 
um, to Bronte. And also for those of you who aren't Australian, CBD, I think I referenced this in my last podcast, but stands for Central Business District. And that's essentially what Australians call the downtown area. So Americans would call the downtown. I am not quite sure what Europeans would call the area of main congregation in cities, but in, in Australia, they call it a CBD. So now I'm in the habit of calling it a CBD. Although when I first came down here, I thought that CBD was uh, the CBD that we know in the US to be, which is cannabinoids. Cannabinoids? Actually, let me look it up. Cannabidiol. So cannabinoids that are a product of cannabis. If you are planning a trip to Bronte, thinking of who would enjoy Bronte, the list is really endless. I think that Bronte is, uh, I actually will say like a few different things. So one, I think Bronte and Bronte Beach and the surrounding areas is a great place to stay if you're visiting Australia and if you're visiting Sydney and you are looking for a place to stay near the beach. I think that Bronte is such a phenomenal place to stay. There's a lot of great Airbnbs. Specifically between from Tamarama down to Bronte is a great spot. It's a little bit less busy than if you're staying in Bondi, but it still has all of the access to to Bondi, the restaurants and bars and whatnot, just a little bit quieter. And you also have access to what Bronte has to offer that is a little bit different to Bondi in terms of the rock pools and the amenities. If you live local or if you're considering to move to Bronte, it's a really great place to live if you are young. And very similarly, if you want to be in a place that is a little bit less busy to Bondi. So Bronte, it does have a main area where there's shops and restaurants, but it's very small. It's also disconjoined. So there's two main strips of shops and they are technically connected, but there's a pretty big chunk of residential area between the two. And so it's kind of awkward. There is only one or two bars. It's not really a bar scene. There's a couple of restaurants, a couple of cafes, um, a couple of dentists, those sort of things. But there isn't much of a vibe from Bronte specifically, not in the same way that there is in in Bondi. And so I think that me personally, when I was choosing to live here, I really love Bondi for a lot of different reasons. And I love the energy. It has great energy, but I didn't want to have that energy all the time. And when I moved here, I had actually just come off of living in Bondi Junction. If you think about, if you think of Bondi Uh, as a suburb. Bondi Junction is right at the top of Bondi and it's very, you know, it's very industrial for the most part. It's connected to the major transit lines for the train and the bus. And everyone who lives in the eastern suburbs really funnels through Bondi Junction to get them to work wherever that is. So whether it's in the CBD or it's in the North Sydney or whatever it might be. So it's really busy. It has a lot going on and it in when it's stacked on one another, you know, you look at Bondi has a lot going on, really busy. And then Bondi Junction is really busy. I was just looking for somewhere that had a vibe and it had some energy, but it was quiet in the evenings. It wasn't super crazy and hectic. And 
I felt like Bronte, I could have all of the things that Bondi has to offer, but have really quiet mornings. You know, when I was living in Bondi Junction, there was no end to the noise pollution. That, And I, if you're listening to this from New York, I'm sure that you can relate. But it was just constant. And knowing that if I just moved five minutes away, there would be zero noise pollution. That was really enticing to me. So I really have enjoyed that. But if you are looking for some local exercise or activities, Bronte also has some really great exercise classes. Just this morning, actually, we went for a walk down to Bronte and there was some exercise classes going on. So they have some great outdoor classes, some swimming groups as well, and surfing actually, I've heard mixed reviews on Bronte Surf. I can't say myself. I've actually only surfed twice. Once was a week ago. And while it was really great fun, I don't know that I'm ready for Bronte Surf. So Bronte is, it's really kind of tucked in from the two cliff edges. So like, let's say if you are looking straight at the beaches, you know, Bondi is really wide and really long. Bronte is quite small and it's it's tucked in a little bit further than some of the other beaches. And so it gets a little bit of the wave situation gets kind of tricky when it comes into Bronte. Bronte can have really rough currents. I read just the other day that Bronte has an infamous rip that will rip you straight from shore around the area all the way out to sea. I don't know if this is true or not, but I imagine that in conjunction with a number of other factors in terms of just Bronte's situation, how it's situated, can make it challenging for surfing. So uh, friends who have surfed it has said that there can be really good days at Bronte and there are always people surfing, but it can be a bit more of a intermediate advanced surfing area. So hence why I haven't surfed there. But that being said, it would be great to get to the point where I could surf there. Also, if you are visiting Sydney and you are looking for a great sunrise spot, you are looking for a great morning swim, we haven't actually even talked about one of the best things that Bronte has to offer. And that is it has one uh, rock pool which Australians here call a bogey hole. And so it has a really great rock pool that's in the ocean. And then there's a human-made rock pool, which we'll actually talk about the history about that in a couple of minutes. But if you are looking for a morning swim, Bronte's great. The rock, the human-made rock pool has a, a couple of lanes. You can swim laps there. It is absolutely stunning at sunrise, arguably the best beach to watch sunrise in Sydney. And having a sunrise swim is amazing. And all of the cafes that are in Bronte Beach are actually situated right across from the beach in just about the closest cafes outside of Tamarama, which does have one close cafe, but it doesn't have a string of really close cafes, which I think is really unique about Bronte and also very different to, to Bondi as well. Bondi does have a cafe actually now that is really close to the beach, but it's still a little bit separated from the main beach area. Now talking a little bit about some history of the Bronte area. I thought that this was interesting. Bronte actually claims to be the oldest surf club in the world with apparently surf club patrols starting in 1903, but the club itself actually officially forming in 1907. And so if you're not in Australia, surf clubs are Australian wide. They're surf clubs all over Australia. And 
I, they are really responsible for the patrolling of the the waters from what I know. But as I'm saying this, I don't know what else they do. They might do other things. I don't know if anyone can join. I'm not quite sure. But Bronte was the first one apparently in the world to be formed. The next fact I have in piece of history is on the human-made rock pool, which this was one of the most interesting things I've learned about beaches and in general that I've researched. With that being said, I've actually only really spent a lot of time <laughs> researching Bronte. So maybe this doesn't count. But so far, out of the beaches I've researched, one of one Bronte had the human-made rock pool was actually it actually set aside to be built in 1883 and the price of how much it was built I would be curious for someone to take a guess so in your mind think about in 1883 how much would it have cost to build a human-made rock pool and it's a pretty good size as well. I don't have the specific dimensions but it's a pretty normal rock pool size. It uh, it can get pretty deep. So there's a couple different depths and it's situated really in the cliffside, which is one of the things that makes it stunning. It has a very well-built railing uh, on the side of it though, because it, when the waves get really aggressive, it can be quite dangerous if you're sitting on the edge and the waves come can kind of push you around a little bit. Now that you've hopefully thought about a price, just a, a funny note and this was last night I was telling my my boyfriend this and he guessed $2 million. Uh, and so I don't know how much that would be in inflation, but I would imagine it'd be quite a bit. So he was really surprised when I told him that it was only 150 pounds to build the sea baths or the human-made rock pool at Bronte. Before there was a uh, an existing swimming spot there. The construction of the Bronte rock pool then kicked off in 1887, which is really interesting. Before that as well, I actually found some history. I didn't write this down specifically, but there was actually quite a lot of back and forth with uh, the pool and the land in Bronte had been donated to or had been given to somebody and then had been given to somebody else. And there was back and forth with the local council to try to get the ownership of the land back. So great that they have the um, ownership back and it's a public area now. I actually read as well that there used to be charges for going to to the pool as well. So it's free and that actually probably is helpful to add. Not all of the rock pools in Australia are free, but this one is. So you can come at any time except for when they're cleaning it and you can enjoy a really lovely swim. When I think about how to explain Bronte if someone was to ask me what Bronte Beach is like. I was thinking through a couple of things that in terms of how I would explain it. And starting with Bronte is one of the smaller beaches. It is right south of Tamarama though, which is substantially smaller than than Bronte and has usually nine times out of 10 really intense waves. So Tamarama isn't the best for swimming unless you really like to feel like you're inside of a washing machine. If you're looking for that type of excitement in your life, Tamarama is for you. If you are not and you're looking for something a little bit more peaceful, then Bronte is going to be a really great spot for you. But when you look at Bronte, it's also quite different in that it, as I mentioned, it's this beach between these two 
large cliff faces. So these these really beautiful rock cliffs on both sides. And there's the beach area. And then it has a promenade that you are able to walk really right behind the beach the whole time, which is great. There's a surf club. There is also a bathroom and changing rooms. And then you have uh, along the south side of the beach, you have all the different cafes, which there's there's quite a few cafes and restaurants there that you can eat at. And the grassy area is is really vast. In the summer, it fills up and there's tons of people there. It's amazing and a really great place to set up shop. Bronte is also one of the only places, uh, only beaches in Sydney that has this setup of they're like these little tents, but they're permanent kind of pergolas where you can, they have uh, tables, like cement tables. You can go set up shop there and you can can have a barbecue or you can hang out with your friends. Sometimes people are working there, whatever it might be, and be protected from the sun. So that is one of the great things that you can do. There also is barbecues down at Bronte as well. One of the fun things about Australia that I've learned since I've been here is Australians love to barbecue. And what that means is there are community barbecues, which I hadn't actually seen before. So you can go to Bronte. They have them at Tamarama as well. They have these community barbecues. So you can go there and you can can cook up you know anything that you'd like and you just clean up after. Actually thinking of that, another trip that I had I'd done with some friends and I'll talk about this on the podcast at some point soon was a trip to the Northern Territory. And it was really nice because we wanted to get out during the day and we wanted to cook at different parks. And most every park we went to, like National Park, they had these barbecues where you would be able to cook out on and we didn't have to cook in our van, which was really nice. So they have those. You actually don't even need to bring one down, although some people do bring their own down to these pergola things. I don't actually know if that's what they're called, but anyway, hopefully you guys can visualize what I'm referring to. Bronte is also one of the only beaches I've been to, the only beach today that has warm showers. And so that brings me to what it's like swimming at Bronte and really what there is to do at Bronte. So Bronte has warm showers, which makes it an unreal place to swim in the summer and the winter. You can swim in the winter, have a cold dip, cold plunge if you may, and then you can jump in the hot showers, which is a recipe for success any time of year, which is amazing. The only time that it's not great to swim is, is of course, when it's really stormy and high tide. If it's not stormy and it's high tide, it's fine, but the the waves can get really intense. If it's high tide, it's going to actually come over the rock pool and it can be really chaotic to swim in there. If it is like that, a great place to swim is the built rock pool. That's that's always usually really amazing. Although I have seen it actually shut down just a couple times, handful of times when the waves were so big that they were pummeling both of the rock pools and actually the beach was shut down. But that hasn't happened in a while. We've actually had a pretty smooth sailing in terms of storms so far this year. So knock on wood. Other than that, the bogey hole is usually always quite calm and it can be a great place to snorkel and swim. In the summertime, you'll see a lot of kids playing in there with their families, especially when it's low tide. It gets really shallow for quite a ways. So it's a great place to go and lounge around and a great place to snorkel. My favorite thing about Bronte is that when you're swimming, one, I have swam at all different times of the day, even in the evening, and it's 
especially when when the tide is low and it's calm, so clear and peaceful that a number of times I've looked down and you'll see fish swimming around and it just incredible. You don't even need goggles, but you can. And a lot of people do use goggles and they snorkel in the bogey hole in the summertime or the wintertime as well. And the wintertime is actually usually pretty calm and clear um, so long as it's not raining, or at least it is this year. Every year has been a bit different. We've had some winters um, over the last couple of years that have been a lot of different storms, but this year so far, it's actually been on most of the time really clear, which has been great. So a great place to snorkel and swim. My one suggestion is though, even if it looks like it, the bogey hole is is still maybe, you know, 50 meters from the rock pool. And I, I can't do the conversion in my head right now of what that is in feet. But it's not, I mean, it's close, but it's not that close. And so don't try to swim from the bogey hole to the rock pool. If you do, you will likely be caught in what happened to me where me and a friend started swimming from the bogey hole to the rock pool because there was a high tide. We didn't see a lot of the rocks, so we thought that we were good. But what happens is the waves come and they kind of push you down and the waves came, push us all down, and we both got really banged up on our knees and on our arms and stuff by being kind of drug along the rocks that we thought were quite a ways down, but they actually turned out to be not that far down. So get out of the bogey hole and walk to the the actual pool if you are swimming. Don't try to swim back and forth because it does look like you could swim back and forth really easily. And if you're a moderate swimmer, you or if you're a beginner swimmer, you could do that swim very easily. But my suggestion would be to not do it. The next thing that I would recommend doing in Bronte is doing laps in the lap pool. It's a really great pool. It is my favorite pool, rock pool that I've been to. It's amazing. And it's there's truly really no others that I've I've been to like it. They also take really good care of it. They clean it out regularly so it doesn't get all gross and filled with, you know, sea trash from, you know, algae and whatnot. I call it sea trash. I'm not quite sure if other people call it sea trash, but really sea trash doesn't mean literal trash. It means uh, you know, all of the al- algae and seaweed and stuff like that from the bottom um, can get washed up on the beach. So I'm not quite sure if that's a common term, but that's what I mean by sea trash. There isn't trash being washed up in swaths into the pool by any means, thankfully. Bronte usually does get blue bottles in the summertime, which are, if you don't know what blue bottles are, blue bottles are little jellyfish and they, they kind of, they, so they have like a blue top part that is literally looks like it's filled with air. And so they actually do sting and they're really common to Australian beaches. We do get them in the summertime, but as long as the water temperature isn't too warm from my understanding, they don't stick around for too long. So this summer we did have some blue bottles, but we they were just kind of a brief blip. Like we have them and then they kind of wash away. Maybe it's just like a week or two, but I don't. it wasn't very long this year, but I have been around in, in past years where the blue bottles have lasted a little bit longer and it makes it really difficult to swim without fear of getting stung, but they don't usually stick around for too long, which is great. Now transitioning a little bit to what the best way to experience Bronte is. And this is my favorite part because I really love Bronte for every single part of it, but there's a couple experiences that I really 
love the most about Bronte. One is having a morning swim, getting a hot coffee and watching the sunrise or coming right after sunrise. Maybe if you are feeling, you know, like you have a lot of time, you can add on a little brekkie here, a little brunch. There's a number of good cafes. Well, let me rephrase that. There are a couple good cafes. I don't think that all of them are worth visiting. And I would, if you're coming down to to Bronte, you don't want to you don't want to get really touristy food. And this may be an unpopular opinion, but I think that a handful of the cafes at Bronte do have pretty touristy food and or it's really basic and generic. Like it's just eggs toast, eggs avo toast. That's it. Like that's kind of all they offer, just eggs and bacon and toast, nothing, you know, with a little bit more creativity. And so I've always found that with some of these cafes, you could just make it at home and you would save $25. That being said, there is one that is my favorite. Cooper's Cafe is really great. They have a bit more unique foods. They have some vegan and gluten-free pancakes. They have you know, a really big breakfast where they have these different types of meats. And then they have toast and, and eggs. And, you know, it's this whole platter that you can get. They have some juices. They have really good chai, really good turmeric latte, a number of things that the other ones don't quite have. And I suppose you could maybe say that this cafe is maybe a bit more um, millennial, I suppose. Um, but it's really good. So I'd go there. It also has just really authentic, aesthetic branding. It's pink and white and they have a lot of great art inside. And so you just get a really fun vibe when when you go to visit there. And the staff is really lovely too. I think out of the you know service and of all of them have had great service from Cooper's Cafe nine out of 10 times, which has been really nice. So you can grab some brekkie there. The other recommendation that I will give is for straight coffee. So I I actually don't drink coffee anymore. I've been on a non-coffee kick, which if you have known me for a while, you might find that really surprising. And it's also surprising to me as well. But I basically have been just drinking matcha for the last four months, I think. And it's been great. I do miss coffee um, a bit, but maybe I'll go into the story a bit more another time. But for now, I like matcha and I've been drinking matcha and then, you know, chai and other things like that. But when I was drinking coffee, the best coffee, and I had actually tried coffee from all of them. So best in my opinion, but I had gone to gone to really every single one of them is at Selena's. So Selena's is owned by a local couple. They're really lovely. They're always working in there. They And they also have good food as well. It's not, you know, Cooper's level, but it, it would be my second choice. But their coffee is superior. They take a lot of pride in how they make their coffee and it tastes really great. They're really friendly, lovely service and would definitely recommend going there. They also usually have a lot of local art in there, which is great to see as well. My second way to experience, my second ideal way to experience Bronte, the morning swim, you know, sunrise, coffee, could easily do that on a work day, have done that, you know, on a work day many of times, which has been amazing. And every time I just feel like the luckiest person in the world to start my day 
like that. But the second option is a mid-morning brunch. Love going for a mid-morning brunch down at Bronte, having a bit of a swim, laying in the sun with a book and you know, going back and forth at the pool, the ocean, having a picnic, whatever it might be, and spending the day there. So starting the morning with breakfast down at Bronte and then spending the day there um, as well. I have had a couple of sunset picnics there, which is really lovely. Great spot for that. As I mentioned, we have these pergola ish things. So great to set up some little picnic there, or you can bring a blanket and whatnot. There's oftentimes a lot of families and any nice day, there's lots of people out with picnics and whatnot, and they can do that at really any time. Now, after we've gone over really what we've talked about is a little bit of everything for Bronte. What to know before you go. The first thing is always bring a swimsuit or swimmers before you go, even if you don't think that you're going to swim. The only times I've been disappointed at Bronte are the times that I didn't wasn't able to swim because I didn't bring my swimsuit. I have also actually gone on runs before and I didn't bring my swimsuit because I was going to run and then I just jumped in with my running stuff on, um, sans shoes, of course, but it's it's just not something that you want to pass up. That actually does bring me though to another suggestion is that if you are going on a run on the the coastal walk, it's a great place to to jump in. But of course I live in Bronte. So I mean if you were living in Bron- Bondi, you might not want to jump in, in Bronte and still have to run all the way home. There is also a convenience store and or I believe in Australia it's called the Servo, like a service station. I think that's what it is. I don't have anyone here to fact check me though, unfortunately. So I will go with convenience store slash Servo and basically anywhere that has like snacks, drinks, and SPF if you need the Servo. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I say it as if I just say it like I can't say it for some reason, but the convenience store slash servo, they have everything that you need. They also have a bit more because if you are going to go to the grocery store, it's like a 15 minute walk uphill to get to the the closest grocery store. So they have kind of situated themselves. They have a lot of, you know, little things that you might need. So that's great. You don't have to go all the way up there. Next thing is parking in the summer can be really tricky. So arrive early don't count on there being parking, especially if it's middle of the summer. It can be really difficult to park. So try to take public transport. But if you can't do that and you have a scooter or a motorcycle, you'll be fine. There's always parking for for those types of bikes or non-motorized bikes as well. But it can be really difficult to park, um, even though it looks like there's a lot of parking and the summer it gets incredibly packed. But in the winter, you would be fine. You can easily pop down and go for a swim, park, really closely and then leave. But the second summer turns on, then it's a little bit of a different story. What I want people to know about visiting Bronte Beach is how amazing of a place it is to come for a day. It's, in my opinion, the it's my favorite beach in that I visited, at least in Sydney, because I love the pool so much. I am somebody that I really struggled when I first moved here to swim in the waves. I found them really challenging. I had a number of times where I just I just didn't grow up swimming in the ocean. And so swimming in ra- waves when I first came here, it wasn't at Bronte, but it was in Tamarama. And I was, I didn't know that you weren't ever supposed to turn your back on a wave. And it might seem intuitive, but if you grow up swimming in lakes, there's you know there's not any waves to not turn your back on and so i 
turned my back on this wave. I I was just getting out. And at the time, Tamarama can get like this if there is a storm or something and it resituates the coastal line, all the sand moves. So sometimes it can kind of get a bit of a drop and it can be kind of a substantial drop. And so there was a pretty substantial drop. And so I was kind of walking up this drop and substantial, I mean, you know, like the it wasn't just like a total cliff edge, but it was a pretty intensely gradual transition from the shoreline down into, you know, where the water was. And so I was walking out and I turned my back and this massive wave, which would have been a couple meters tall, like in the waves at Tamarama can fully roll straight up to the shoreline because it's quite deep there. And so just fully rolls to the shoreline, absolutely smacks me down and then drags me out and back. And I like look up and people are of course looking at me and my hair is like, you know, really wild and crazy everywhere all over my face. And I just, I was so shocked at what happened. I just felt like I had, you know, been initiated into um, ocean swimming. And I had just moved here as well. I think I'd only been here for like a couple of weeks, but I was like, what on earth are these waves about? And how do you overcome these challenges of swimming with them? I didn't know. I later have learned how to swim with the waves and and through practice have become much more confident in swimming underneath them. But that being said, that is a really um, important thing to make sure you you keep in mind. But if you're living in Sydney, it's also a must-see. Like I said, it's also a, a stop on the coastal walk. So it's a great place to stop off, great place to spend some time and there's everything that you need here. So you don't have to feel like you have to bring a lot of things. There's a great place that I I don't personally eat seafood, but I know people who do eat seafood love this fish and chips place at Bronte. That's really highly rec- recommended as well. So no need to bring anything, but you can bring a picnic. If not, no big deal. You can get everything down here at the beach. And it's just really easily walkable. So you can walk here, walk back to Bondi, wherever you might be and have a really good time doing so. So that is our podcast today on Bronte. Bronte, as I've said, it's one of my favorite places and I love it so much. And it's been really special to call it home for the last two and a half years. I am moving in the next couple months and maybe to Bronte, but likely to Bondi area. So I will miss living in this area, but I hope that you guys enjoyed our conversation today on Bronte Beach and that you feel like you've left with some good insights into what Bronte Beach is about, how you can enjoy your time visiting, and a bit about some of my experience visiting Bronte Beach. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to us on Instagram or TikTok. We recently launched our Instagram just this last week. So please reach out if you have any questions or if you want any more recommendations uh, or things to do that is all for today. So thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed our podcast today, please considering following us, giving us a review, sharing us with friends, family, anyone you know that's coming to visit or would like to listen and hear a little bit about Bronte and tune in next week to find out where we are wondering about next week. Thanks so much. Bye guys.